Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. Hey everybody, this is Kyle V, host of the Ozark Podcast. If you like the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast, we have a show for you. We sit down with local outdoorsmen of Arkansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma to talk all things hunting, fishing, conservation, history, and culture in the Ozark Mountains region. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts to discuss the pursuits of hunting turkeys, bears, and whitetail, as well as the science behind their conservation. Join me and my co-host Kyle Plunkett every Wednesday and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. This uh, Wednesday episode would normally be an outro, but today it is a deer episode because that is what we are doing throughout turkey season. Jacob, how you doing over there? Oh, doing well. I'm hand motioning me? What? Hand, hand motioning, absolutely. Yeah, this is going to be the new format, guys, for the springtime. Deer episodes are going to be coming out Wednesday, and then our outros will come out on Fridays after we do kind of a week-long recap of you know all the episodes that we've been putting out. So Yep, yep. And uh, just past 2 million downloads, so thank everybody who helped contribute to that. Thank you all for listening. And if, you could, uh, if you're enjoying the show, if you wanted to do one thing that would help us out greatly, it would be copy the link on whatever platform you're listening on right now, whether it be iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever they call it now, Spotify, you name it, put all your buddies in a group message 
and send it in there, and y'all start talking about it. Uh, that's the best thing you could possibly do to help us. So we thank everyone who's kind of helped us get to this point. It's been a long time of coming, but it's a huge milestone for us, so I want to thank everybody. But today, we're going to have the, the timely topic of talking about hunting clubs and leases with Mr. Kevin Tullis. Kevin, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. How about y'all? I'm doing fantastic. Jacob, how are you? Oh, listen, doing well. Doing real well. And we also have uh, the Dilla himself coming in remote, Michael Pike. Mike, what's going on? Oh, nothing much. Just uh, orientation week for me. So, yep, Mike. just a whole lot of presentations. Yep, Mike's got his new job. So, he's uh, been very, very busy the last uh, few days and going to be real busy, really, for the next couple of weeks from what it seems like schedule-wise. But... This episode here, super excited about, uh, Kevin. This is something that I've been wanting to do this episode now for probably a couple of years. And really, it, it had to come down to finding like the, the right guest for this topic, which is really a, in, a detailed guide to everything about hunting clubs and what people should be aware of when they're looking for hunting clubs, how to find a certain hunting club, and then also, you know, whether or not they should rejoin and renew their memberships uh, based off, you know, what they found throughout that season. Uh, now, just to get it, just a little background, uh, Kevin, can you just briefly mention, you know, your background when it comes to hunting clubs? I know you've been in quite a few over the last, you know, few decades and so, so you have a lot of experience, but what has your been experience when it comes to joining hunting clubs? Like when was the first time you got in a hunting club and kind of how many clubs have you been into uh, up to this time? Well, probably I'd say maybe 12 to 14 clubs and probably started in the late 80s. Uh, you know, some of them's better than others. It's all according to what you're looking for in the club. Do you want to kill deer? Do you want to kill good bucks? A lot's got to do with what's around the club and other hunting clubs on the same page with you. And stuff like that. Yep, and that's actually a, a really good guideline that we're going to kind of follow for this episode. And there's a lot to it. So the reason why we're doing this episode right now is this is the time of year that a lot of clubs are either having members renew or they're having members drop off and they're going to be looking for new members the next few months going all the way up until early summer for some of these clubs. Now, the real primo clubs, uh, which we're going to define what a hunting club is in just a moment, but a lot of those primo clubs are going to be the ones that are going to be kind of hard to find out about. They're, they're talking like the real good trophy clubs when you're trying to find you know areas that are really killing really big deer. Uh, but we're going to do that whole guide and break down this episode. But to kind of go over what a hunting club is, Kevin, could you describe to us, like what is your definition of what a hunting club is for the listeners? Probably a club that's managed right. One that uh, you got the right rules and everybody obeys the rules that they have. Uh, you need everybody on the same page and not going behind everybody's back doing things that they shouldn't do in the club. And to kind of go over this a little bit more, so that's kind of like what you're looking at for like a, a quality club. Really a hunting club, you know, based off my definition, is where you have, you know, you have a group of individuals who have a, a lease. And a lot of times these are, you know, more expensive leases where they sell, you know, quote unquote memberships or offer memberships, which is going to be a fraction of whatever the cost of the actual lease is of the property. And they have a club that's, you know, could be an organization as small as, you know, five or six members or as big as 40 or 50 members or even bigger based off the size of the club. And then also how many members they want to have per acreage out there. Um, 
And you find this a lot, especially in the Southeast. I feel like when you get to the Midwest, I don't hear guys talking as much about quote-unquote hunting clubs as you just hear about people picking up individual leases and then having just a couple buddies hunt that lease. Now, we still have that down here in the Southeast, but it seems like hunting clubs by far is the most common way majority of people hunt down here in the Southeast uh, is, again, joining hunting clubs. And they range in pricing. Uh, that's one thing I think we can talk about a little bit in this episode. You know, you can have clubs as cheap as six, $700, and then you have clubs literally as expensive as you want to go. I've seen some clubs in Alabama go for over $5,000, uh, but they are, I mean, clubs that these guys are killing 160-plus-inch deer, and they're being extremely selective on what you can and cannot shoot on that property. Uh, also, I guess one thing about clubs that we can mention as well early on in this is the structure of a club. A lot of times, Kevin, maybe you can talk a little bit about this. Uh, this is something that I'm not so familiar with, but I've just talked to enough, enough guys that see this. It's like, you know, you'll have like a club president and you have like quote unquote different board members, which kind of help come up with the regulations for the said property and the club, uh, along with accepting new members. So, uh, Kevin, could you talk a little bit about that? Just again, the structure of some of these clubs that you've been in when it comes like the memberships, but also, you know, kind of not say the politics of it, but when it comes to like the top down perspective of who's actually running that club. Well, you know, usually you got a president that runs the club and a secretary and so on. But, you know, they come up with the rules they want to go by, but the problem is, do they go by? A lot of clubs, you know, they just want money to get the lease because they lease the land and all they need is members to keep the lease. But now to keep the rules, you know, if you're going to try to run a, say you know a three three on one side or four on one side or six or eight point club you know everybody in that club has got to go by the rules and not let the ones that's running the club break the rules now i've seen some clubs like that and they get mad if you call them out on stuff but you know everybody's got to abide by the rules that set and everybody go by them now not always that that works, but, you know, the best way to find a club is know somebody that is in that club and can tell you really what goes on in that club. Yeah. <clears throat> so growing up in clubs, that's kind of, that was kind of my experience. We had a lot of problems with that is you, you'd get into the club and they'd, they'd give like an antler point restriction or, or something like that. And this is what we mean when we talk about like the politics of leases, the politics of hunting clubs is, you know, people argue, it's just human nature, people are going to argue about stuff, and, you know, like, I would have to pass certain deer, even as, like, a 12-year-old, and then, uh, like, you know, later on in the season, one of the higher-up people in the club would shoot that same deer that I passed, and, yes. and so, I, it's <laughs> just, yeah, it got to be a big issue, and then, and then you'd have, we had an instance one time where this guy had a real nice buck on camera and went and told everyone about it, and someone else in the club went down there that, like, next working day, took off work and went down there and killed the buck. And there was a big stink about that. So that's a, that's a good thing to bring up. Something you got to be careful of uh, getting into a club is, you know, like you said, try to know somebody who's in that thing and kind of get the lowdown on whatever, what everybody's actually doing in the club. Cause you know, they can tell you the rules and everything, but you don't really know what's going on until you talk to, I guess, somebody who's honest within that club. Yes. That, I mean, that's, that's the best way to get in the club is know somebody that is in the club or you actually know them personally and they can tell you the truth about it, everything that goes on in a club. 
that's not that's the only way i'd really get in the club is to know somebody there either you know some clubs will let you be a guest and you can go hunt with somebody you know in that club and you can find out a lot just by going down there you know one day or a weekend and get to know people and see how they react to different things but you know it, it's a hard thing most time you know you get in the club and you stay in it one year you can find out a lot that goes on in that club mm-hmm. one one question i got you mentioned that you you like to get in clubs that you know somebody that who's already in the club so you can kind of get that feedback but just saying if you don't know anybody in the club or, or none of your buddies are in clubs or anything like that do you know of any good resources to find uh hunting clubs well, I mean, you can always, you know, find hunt clubs that people need members, and you can kind of go down there one day and look, uh, see what, you know, is the land's like. It don't take long to figure out if there's a lot of deer or not just riding the roads and looking at tracks. I mean, that'll tell you a lot. But if you can actually go there one day and just look around on your own and scout some, but you could also already know what the land looks like if you know where it's at and kind of see what is around the club uh what kind of land if it's cut over small pines if it's got creeks in it and stuff like that you could sort of have a game plan to where am i going to go look to see if there's really good sign there so that that's another that's another pretty good topic right there because I've been looking for clubs lately just right around here because I'd like to have something closer to my house because, I mean, the nearest places I hunt around here are uh, 45 minutes to an hour most of the time. So I got if I could find something closer, I'd like to join it. And I don't know anybody in any of these clubs, but I was able to find a couple just through Westervelt. Um, and a lot of those guys will let you come and actually tour the club, and they'll, they'll kind of show you around, and I guess they'll drive you around the property. So, I mean, is that pretty yes. normal to, you know, ask those people, like, yeah. hey, can I go out and I can, I can I walk this? Can I go and scout actual individual spots that I've seen on the map and whatnot? Is that, that's pretty normal? Well, yeah, I mean, I've went to some, you know, and they said, well, just come on up here. I'll take you up there and you can ride around and they'll show up. Most times they're going to show you where the plot's at and different things like that or show you the roads that goes to the plots and all. But when you're riding around doing that, I always pay attention Look out the window, look at tracks, see if there's a lot of tracks crossing the roads. Uh, you can tell a lot by just, if you got out and looked at a food plot, you know, is, is there any rubs right around the plot? Is there any old scrapes around the plot? Uh, but a lot of it, you, you got to really get in the woods to see. Another point, you know, when you go look at a place like that, you know, if you got a day or two ahead of time to when you're going down there if you can look on google earth or something like that and see what is around this club is there more club that joins this club or is there forest next to this club and if you have to you know find the people that surround them clubs or just when you leave go by people's houses and ask you know hey uh these people up here has got this club you know how are they towards you I mean that that'd tell you a lot. So so no, that's kind of scary. Mm-hmm. So asking Go surrounding ahead. landowners like, hey, do you have good experiences with the people in this club? Like, are are they jerks? Uh, anything yes. like that? 
Yeah, I mean, you get a lot of feedback because, I mean, if a club's a bad club and they start in trouble a lot or something like that, somebody around there is going to know. So, I mean, you can get a lot of feedback on just surrounded areas around the club. That's a, that's a good tip. I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah, and there's a lot more, I think, that goes into, you know, what are some of the other factors around a property that may make it worthwhile being a part of it? Before we get into that, one thing I want to mention earlier that you do touched on, Kevin, is, you know, a lot of these clubs that you're getting into is because you already know somebody in the club or you have experience potentially with a past club through, again, to somebody you know. It's not like you're going on social media and like, oh, this club needs a member. You know, that might not be the club you're looking at. And I think a lot of people always go to social media like, hey, guys, I'm looking for a club. You know, if you know any clubs that are taking members, let me know. A lot of the clubs that you see where guys are advertising are clubs that maybe nothing gets those clubs, but it may be subpar properties where they are losing members and they have to get anybody and everybody turnover. that is willing to pay money to join so they can keep that lease. Uh, and those, yes. those may not be a great property, especially if you're trying to find, not everybody's like this, but if you are trying to kill, you know, a certain quality of buck, if that's like your goal as a hunter, those probably aren't going to be the clubs to do it in. Yes, you could find a, you know, a really good deer on that property, but those are the clubs that there's a reason why they have a high turnover. There's some kind of politics going on. There's something with the property. There's something going on that that's the reason why they're needing members in August when that lease was due in freaking May and they're still trying to find members to cover that lease. So that's something just to be aware of. I think from a, a outside perspective looking in is if you're finding somebody advertising, they need six, seven, eight members on social media there should be some red flags going up with that property. Now, if you're, if you're now, Kevin, I know you and me talked about this a little bit. If you're just dead set, like you, you want to get in a property. Um, and we probably should talk about why someone might want to join a club instead of hunting public land. Um, but you know, you might be in a case like, Hey, if it's September and you still haven't got it, you want to get into a club, you got family, whatever you want in the club, you're pretty much going to take whatever option you've got at that point, or you're just going to hunt public land or, or vice for, you know, one or the other. Um, but yeah, what is your take on that, Kevin? Again, just about like, again, just people advertising clubs on social media and just trying to grab whatever members they can. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're hurting because somebody dropped out. The question is, ask them, uh, okay, now, why do you need members? Why did these people leave? I mean, that's that's getting point blank, but I mean, you know, you, you know they're going to tell you something, but, you know, they're always – some clubs don't produce maybe – the type of deer they want. But I mean, if they'll tell you something, then you'll know whether or not you want in it or not. But you always, you know, people that's advertising want members. That means somebody dropped out and they don't, nobody in that club knows somebody that wants to get in it or they need the money now. Cause a lot of leases come up at different times, but they need somebody to get the money to still have the lease. And they get in a bind, so they're just shooting at straws, whatever I can get just to get the lease paid. Yeah, absolutely. And it brings up, there's a lot of really interesting questions with this, which is like the aspects of a lot of your, again, your higher quality lease or like clubs, you will never hear about them talking to social media. I saw one that was actually advertised. It's not a premium club by any means. It's in like a huge trophy club. But you find all, no, no one club is built the same as the other as in like what you're going to be dealing with the club. Some clubs are super basic where it's just a lease and you get access to a property. That is it. There's no 
camp house, which we're going to talk about in just a second. There's no campground. There's no uh, water hookup power. There's nothing like that. It's just a property that a certain amount of people have keys to the gate to go hunt. That's it. And those like your more primitive clubs. Then you have the more elaborate clubs on the opposite side. And Kevin, we can talk about this maybe a little bit that have like a camp house. They've got like some kind of house or some kind of uh, building on the property that has, you know, bunk beds and it's got bathroom, it's got kitchen, it's got the whole nine yards. Some are as elaborate as one I found that's down in Lowndes County, which had a camp house. It had a, a huge walk-in cooler. It had like seven RV hookups, uh, both uh, electricity and water, which is freaking crazy, um, all on this property. And that this club is an older club. It's been around for like over almost 40 years and they put all the infrastructure on this property. Uh, which is, again, you don't find that everywhere. And some of those clubs are a little bit more expensive, if not quite a bit more expensive than some of these clubs that are more kind of primitive. Um, Kevin, when it comes to like looking at the different, um, I, I guess you could say, um, <laughs> I probably shouldn't use it like this, amenities of a club, is that ever <laughs> a factor for you? Like, do you ever care if they have a, a camp house or clubhouse or anything like that on a property? Well, no, not really. I mean, I've been in some that's had, you know, you just bring your own camper and they actually built a shire house and even had a cooler there if you killed deer you could hang the cooler in some of them i've been and they had a camp house but it was already full but they still had hookups you could hook your camper up i mean all of them's great you know but it really don't matter to me you know on none of that is you know is the deer there and is there some good deer there and that's, that's the main thing I'm looking for. Absolutely. And that, that really kind of comes back to, you know, for each person, they may have different goals. Like maybe somebody wants a very family-friendly club where they can bring their you know, their wife out to, they can bring the kids to, it's just fun. You know, maybe they can shoot some deer, but it's just more that kind of like social as- aspect. And then you get the, I'm not going to say more serious clubs, but you get the clubs where everybody in that club or a lot of people in that club are more serious about, you know, regulations. They're a little bit more focused on, you know, let's maybe kill some better quality deer and let some deer walk. And that's a big different kind of culture aspect that you find that's different from club to club. I was about to say, that's something I've noticed in the little time I've been looking. You'll find a lot more of those uh, family-oriented clubs are going to be like your kind of club where, you know, you can join it and your kid can come out there and he can kill, you know, whatever he wants. And he can kill like, you know, three bucks, whatever he wants to kill, which is great. But if you're looking for trophy bucks, that's maybe not it. And on the flip side, some of the trophy buck clubs I've been looking at, you know, that's, if you're looking for a place to where you can bring your kids and let them shoot a couple of deer every year, that's probably not the club you want to get in, right? No, not really. I mean, you got different types of clubs, and it's all based on what are you looking for. You know, if you want some place that your whole family can go and the kids can go, that's fine. But even on my opinion on the bigger buck clubs i mean if you bring your kids i think they ought to be able to shoot what they want just because you want them to get into hunting and the only way you're going to you know i've been in clubs to work i told my kids well you, you can't shoot that it, it's not big enough you know and they would get a little bit aggravated and i said well that's the rules in this club and that's the way it's going to be but you know some people will go you know hey it's it's a kid just just let them shoot one you know and that's what you know it's all about is getting the younger folks involved in it too because if you don't they ain't gonna be no hunt yeah yeah exactly that and that was kind of what i alluded to earlier with that club i was in my dad would get really frustrated with that when i was a kid because i mean we struggled 
he wasn't a very good deer hunter god rest his soul <laughs> he uh <laughs> we struggled a little bit finding deer and so when we finally saw a buck and you know if it wasn't if it didn't meet club requirements you know it like pained him to have to pass that so i mean it is what it is so it just kind of goes into whichever club you want um by the way sidetrack jt just showed up jt how are you i'm good how are y'all i got yeah lean in better than that. i'm good how are y'all i'm pretty good <laughs> <laughs> jt how many clubs have you been in these last two years uh two two okay. separate ones all right so that's why we wanted you on here so anytime you got a question just yeah jt just right cut, cut me off dude all you gotta do is like look at me and just you know shoot, <laughs> shoot, shoot me the bird or something and tell me all to right. shut up and I'll, I'll, I'll go from there um so i'm glad we kind of again talked about the different aspects of you know what you could find with the club Again, some of those more premium clubs, again, you're going to be paying, you're definitely paying more in some of these quote-unquote trophy clubs than what you're going to find uh, where it's more of a family-friendly club. These family-friendly clubs always seem like they have like the most members. You know, they may have, and we can talk about this, like uh, members per acre. Um, you know, some properties like to keep at least 100 acres per member. Uh, so if it's 2,400 acres, they're going to have 2,400 members. Or, no, God. <laughs> that'd, be a, that'd be a bit. That'd be a bit much. I'm talking about a deer drive. Hey, <laughs> hey everybody's got their own front lawn the hell out of okay? That's right. Uh, <laughs> no, so if it's 2,400 acres, it would be 24 members in a club like that. And then you have some clubs that are more on the economical side. Again, they're like less than $1,000. And they may have, you know, one member for every you know, 50 acres on a property or even less than that. And they may allow you to have up to like six guests come, you know, throughout the year and, you know, bring the whole family. And that's going to have a ton of hunting pressure. Like places like that are going to have way more hunting pressure on it, especially come gun season than pretty much any public land you'll ever step foot on. Um, well, that's like the club I was in last year. Um, it was 2,700 acres and there's 12 members. That's it. And that's where I was going to get at. It's like, that's a more premium club. It's like, you get it less is. members, but you're paying a little bit more than if yep. you were going to have, you know, you said 2,700 acres? 2,700 acres. Then if they had 27 members. Right. So, like, your dues will be less normally, or, you know, all, pretty much all the time, dues are going to be less, that, that yearly due, uh, if there's, you know, you know, more members per, you know, that acreage out there. But your nicer clubs like that, like 2,700 acres and there's only 12 members, and probably a decent amount of those guys only gun hunt. Yep. Uh, uh, there was uh, last year. There was two of us that bow hunted the entire property, which is crazy. Like if you're a bow hunter, that's just freaking awesome. Kevin, does that ever is what? What's your uh, thought process when it comes to memberships? Like, let, let's kind of get to the point of, hey, you know, you found a club that you're interested in. You know, somebody's in it, or you've heard about this club. You got a contact for a club. You're calling that contact, whoever it would be, to that would like, kind of answer your questions. What are some of those questions you're going to be asking them, especially when it comes to, like memberships there? Uh, and like acreage and, and all those que kind of questions you'd have in that conversation. Well, I mean, you know, just like what he said about there was so many members to 2,700 acres. Now, the catch to that is, you know, say you had uh, so many members, say 10 members to 2,000 acres. All right. Does that membership include everybody in your family? Um, full, <clears throat> full family but you could only have one guest at a time. So oh, like, okay. So like, but if I wanted to take my dad and my brother, I could take both of them, but one of them was a free guest and the other one had to pay for their member, but it was only, oh. but you only paid if you shot something. So like they could come hunt, but if they didn't shoot anything, they didn't have to pay anything. It was, you only paid if you actually harvested an animal. Wow. Okay. Well, 
I mean, I've been liberal. You know, you pay one fee and your whole family can hunt. That means your wife, all of your kids, and it didn't matter. You could have them all there at one time. So some clubs, you know, the ask that part about that is very crucial because, you know, I, I liked it where I paid one fee and my whole family hunted, but they could all hunt at the same time, long as you just didn't just take over all the great spots as they called it. But, uh, I would ask that question. Then I'd ask, you know, the question about, uh, well, how good are the people about really keeping the rules and abide by all the rules, you know, without a bunch of drama going on? Cause I hate being in a club and you got a bunch of drama cause everybody's mad. I don't like getting in a club to work. Hey, I killed a deer. It was legal. And then everybody there's mad at you. And you're going, my God, why? I, I went by the rules. It's legal. You know, I don't like all that fuss and arguments all the time. Uh, you know, is a lot of the landowners around you on the same page as this clue, you know, if you've got restrictions and all in the club. Uh other problem is, you know, are you on a, a lease that you got, you know, a county dirt road that runs through it? That don't really work out great because you always got somebody driving down the road, shooting deer offside the road, too. That don't go well. Uh, people come by spotlight night, and I mean, I was in a club in the campground with probably 200 yards off the road, and you could be up there at night and all of a sudden, light comes shining through your camper, and on you look out there, and there's a guy driving down the road, spotlight. You know, you got some counties that's really bad about that. Uh, you know, just simple common sense questions to let you know a lot about a club like that. You know, to, if so, if you know somebody in that club, you can ask them if they're, you know, somebody you really know. They'll tell you what goes on there. So, Kevin, another question I got is when it comes to trying to locate a club where you're, you know, you got a good chance at a good buck or you're trying to locate a trophy club where you're joining that club for the sole reason you want to get in there and have a chance at a really nice deer or a couple really nice deer every single season. What are you looking for as far as regulations go or rules for that club? Maybe not only for that club, but also for the neighbors of that club, kind of like you mentioned earlier. If they're going to have a rug, you know, four on one side or eight corner better, you know, if that's going to work, I'd rather the neighbors around that club is doing the same thing that you're doing and they're abiding by the same rules that you are. Because if you don't, Half the deer you let walk on your club, they're shooting them on theirs. You know, that that's a big kicker on that. It's according to how much land you got. Uh, the land you're on, is it going to hold those deer there compared to the land that's next to you? The other problem with clubs now is with the baiting rule, whoever feeds the most, that's where the deer are going to be, especially during the night. So, you know, you, you got a big competition on smaller land. You know, whoever's feeding the most, where you think the deer's going to the best food. Uh, 
the more land you got, the better option you is, especially if you got, say, 5,000 acres. A lot of them deer will never leave that land. But then again, you know, if they're close to the edge and somebody's feeding them more on the other side, them deer may leave. You know, is there a lot of does there to hold the bucks in there? Is the doe population too populated to where the bucks ain't even going to move during the day? Now, that's a big kicker there. Uh, you know, you you have a lot of different theories on, you know, that's a cold buck. You know, some clubs, they'll say, you know, well, if it's a screwed up rack or something, shoot it. Well, that's fine if the deer is an old deer. I mean, a lot of deer, you know, young deer, especially, you know, one, two-year-old deer, they go through thickets. They'll mess their antlers up during the velvet. It's going to grow crazy. But now, if you see a big older deer that's three, four-year-old, and he's going one antler off one side, and he's got four or five on the other, more than likely the pedestal on that deer ain't going to ever grow right anyway. But a lot of that's just, you know, learning, you know, if the deer is an older deer or not and not shoot it and let it grow the next year and see what it does. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of ruse I've seen in different clubs, and one I really like is, uh, you know, people say, well, you can kill two or three does a year, but a lot of clubs have a rule, you know, you can't shoot the does during, you know, like the pre-rut and the rut time. If you don't shoot no does in that time period, you're t- – odds are better of killing a good buck when people ain't shooting them those uh is corn when the rut happens to where you're at uh i think there's a good you know four weeks there you shouldn't shoot a doe because you never know what's going to fall behind it uh that's just a few things that i you know i i like you know other thing you know say some clubs I've been on said you can't ride a four-wheeler, you know, after daylight to 9 o'clock. Now, I like it in ways because you ever been on a club and, hey, here comes a deer, and next thing you know, somebody comes riding by on a loud four-wheeler, and next thing you know, what deer's gone. Well, you know, that, that rule really helps, you know, in the morning and evening times that you can't ride on the club. Uh at which a lot of times wherever I hunted, I always parked a long ways away from it just to fool the deer on that aspect. But uh, that's a few things, you know, on rules is how how do they shoot doe? You know, some places they don't even want to shoot a doe on the green field. Now, I, I kind of like that because some clubs you can see good bucks come out on fear because there ain't nobody shooting guns on it. But a lot of people, when they get older, they want to get in the shooting house and take it easy and not have to get in the woods too. But so, that's just a few things. So the club I was in last year, um, once gun season started, they closed every road that wasn't a main road. You couldn't drive down unless you were going to a spot that was in that area. And you could only take a four-wheeler that way. You couldn't take a truck or anything else. Um, they also had the rule where you couldn't shoot does on green fields until the last two weeks of season. 
and the criteria was in my opinion it's a little hard to meet it's hard to judge based on just seeing a deer at 300 yards or 200 yards but at the same time there's been some rather large deer taken off that property in the last two years so it it has its benefits and it has its downsides yes it it does i mean but that all goes back to what do you want to kill do you want to kill a good buck or do you want just to kill some deer you know that's that's the thing about clubs join them it's it's all according to how you want to do it but now the club years in they said you couldn't kill no does to the last two weeks of the season on a green field you could shoot them on gas lines and in the woods but if you were sitting on a green field you couldn't shoot a doe in the green field until last few weeks of season so in other words that was after the rut that happened yeah, and you could shoot them before that. I mean, you could shoot them anytime you wanted to. You just couldn't shoot them in a green field. It, and I think it was to keep the the pressure in the fields down because that's where most guys hunted. Yes, I mean, I, and and needless to say, I've seen that work, but I've also seen it work on clubs I was in that say the rut was right there around Christmas time. Well, come January 15th through January, I mean, December the 15th through January the 15th, you couldn't shoot a doe, period. Nowhere. And I understood that, and I seen it work a lot, too, because you couldn't kill no does in that time period because that was when the rut was happening. And I seen, and I used to hunt in the woods, and then I'd hunt certain green fields in the evening. Well, the does would hide from the bucks. But I've seen it happen with many people. You could sit on the green field, and the buck would walk out there, look around. He might take a couple bites of grass, and then he'd leave, you know, 10 minutes later. But he was hunting for dope. But they would come out there in the middle of a green field and not even think twice about it. But nobody was firing off guns at those, too. So, I mean, it can work either way. Oh. There's a lot of different rules there that you know is a gray line on a lot of people houndstooth game calls is your home for turkey calls this spring go check them out they got all the classic turkey calls you know they got the pot calls and the box calls and the mouth calls but they also got a couple really interesting calls one of them is called the the success call and you just need to go look it up it's very it's like a box call that you can work with one hand it's really really cool sounds incredible they also got the spur master which is another very unique call that you can get some really unique clean tones out of they're going to help you out this turkey season use the promo code sop24 to get 15 percent off of your order at houndstooth tooth game calls that's sop24 use it at checkout it helps the podcast and also i want to bring this up real quick jt uh the club or one of the clubs that you're in i know y'all had some interesting regulations uh, like a three or four meat cri- uh, criteria for uh what was a legal buck on that property can you just mention what those criteria were because i find I, i've heard other places doing something similar but uh i think it'd be interesting to kind of let the listeners understand that hey there are certain clubs like that was more kind of set up as a trophy club for sure kind of yeah. the, the structure of that club yeah so the criteria was it had to have 18 inch main beams on one side it had to have four inch bases had to weigh 200 pounds or had to have a, I think it was a 15 inch inside spread, and it had to meet two of the four. And then he changed it this year uh, down there. Your first buck had to meet two of the four. Your second buck had to meet three of the four. Wow! 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 <laughs> One question I got, Kevin. Something you mentioned earlier that uh, 
that I really wanted to touch on is you were talking about you want to make sure that a club is going to hold the deer, uh, whether that be from a habitat standpoint or, or not having too many does. And I guess this is kind of a two-sided question, but when it comes to looking at maybe the habitat on a property, what's going to tell you that that property is going to hold the deer and that they're going to stay on your property enough where you can really get a crack at them? But then also, how can you tell if there's too many does on a property? Like if that property's holding too many deer, that you're going to have the issue where, well, that buck never has to leave the thicket because he's got 10 does in there and he's just working his way through those does and doesn't really have to chase. Well, you know, you always want water on the property. I mean, I know a few people that's got on land and they wouldn't a speck of water on that place. Well, you, you, ain't, you know, you, you need water to hold some deer because they need to drink. Well, other thing is I'm looking for, you know, if it's got cutovers or small pines and stuff, you know, is there a lot of honeysuckles in the pines? Is there green briar? Uh, do you have hollers that's got acorn trees for during bow season and all that to have, you know, plenty of acorns too? But uh, when you get to most of the clubs you go look at, I guarantee you they're all going to be 90% pines and you'll have some draws and hollers. But as long as you got a lot of honeysuckles and briars, uh, privet bushes, stuff like that in there, they got stuff they can eat on during the whole hunting season. And which you're going to have your plots too, you know, if you got good plots, if they plant uh, summer plots. My opinion, that helps tremendous, you know, for during the time when, when all the does are pregnant and they're raising their young and all that. If you got summer plots, that's going to help them a lot too. Uh, so one thing that I've noticed, um, most of the clubs around here, like you're saying, they're mostly going to be pines because that's what they are. They're timber farms that get leased out yeah. from, from a company. But they also, if there's water on the property, they have to have an easement. So if you find right. a club that's got water running through it, there's going to be an easement where it's going to be hardwoods because they can't go and clear cut that area. They have to right. leave certain area. Now, it'll be surrounded by pines, but you'll have those edges in there. You'll have the hardwood bottoms, the hardwood draws. But there's going to be yeah. water as well, so that's going to track with your water statement as well. Well, yeah, that, that that's, that's what I'm getting at, but some... It's corn how the land lays. You know, if you can look at the land, you go, okay, it, it's got some draws, it's got some branches, and you're going to have easement. But now the catch is when you go in them easements where them branches is, is there actually acorn trees or is it all poplar trees? I've seen some land I've looked at, and it would be full of hardwoods, but there is no acorn trees to produce acorns there. Right. That's a catch there that you don't know until you really look. Right, but, but then when you get on the property and you can go dig around in there and you, you may see that it's mostly poplar, but then you find that one draw that's loaded with, you know, white oaks, red oaks, yes. water oaks, all that kind of stuff that's dropping, you found a good spot for early season. Right, yes. You know, but, you know, you can have some bottom lands and swamps. I love hunting in swamps, you know. There's a lot of, a lot of deer live in water like that you know if you got you know some swamp land in there there's gonna be deer you know is there a a high spot in them swamps oh uh, big bucks love to get in swamps and hide i mean anywhere you go but you'll always find some big deer on any property but the catch is you know how many is actually there 
you know, small tracks, it's hard. You know, you can hunt a small track that ain't even 20 acres big and kill big deer every year. But what makes it good is what's around that land. Yeah, I was going to say, Kevin, have you ever been a part of one of these uh, QDMA uh, hunting clubs, these quality deer management clubs where they work with like a like a biologist or anything like that to kind of help set regulations and harvest rates? No, I've never been in one of them clubs, but I had a friend that was in one and – they got a hold of some land, and it was back in the 80s, and it was, uh, I want to say, about 5,000 acres. And that biologist told them the first thing right off the bat was kill 90-something does out of there. And there wasn't many in that club. And he said, you couldn't get the quota that he wanted because he said all you ever done was killing and dragging, killing, drag, killing, drag. And he said, but for every doe you see, he said, there's five you don't see. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, you know, it's hard to do that on big land and if you don't have a lot of people. But if you don't get it down there close to where, you know, the ratio's right, that buck never has to move, Harley. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, kind of having too many deer per club uh, on the property. I, and the thing is, you hear so many guys like, oh, man, I want to hunt a place with a ton of deer. I want Because the concept of the more deer there are on the landscape, they're more potential big bucks and that's just not the case because if there's so many does on the property first off you know there's only going to be so much natural food sources on the place of course you know not taking baiting out of the equation to kind of you know give the nutrition needed year round to grow higher quality bucks but also like you were talking about during the rut if there's four or five does per buck uh, any mature buck is not going to have to move at all, really, during the rut, and you won't see much "quote unquote" rut sign or, or that chasing at all because they don't have to chase. They have so many does that they can work between, uh, which again can yeah. give you like the 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 mindset you hear guys, "Oh man, the rut didn't happen this year." No, it happened. You just have way too many does on the property, and you need to start shooting a lot more does. Well, yeah, and the other part is a lot of people, you know, is corn when the rut hits in this state is do you have a a hot spell and in the all the rut activity happened at night and it never happened during the day i mean i seen that this year and you had an hour maybe two hours in the morning if you didn't kill a deer then you'd never see a deer the rest of the day and i seen it with my own eyes a small buck chase a doe and it was like 7 30 that doe laid down that buck laid down with her and I watched them to one o'clock when I left that day, and they never got up. But it was, you know, pushing 78 degrees that day. They was hot. She was give out. They didn't move. You know, that's what happens with the rut a lot of times is it happens during the hot spot, and you'll never see them move. You know, you can't say it didn't happen. It happened all at night. But if you got too many does, they ain't got to get out and look a whole lot either. And that's something I think that you can see when you go, if you go actually tour a property, if there's green fields already out there, if those green fields look like they've been mowed down like a golf course, they've got too many deer. Yeah. So that, that's, yeah, that's, exactly. that's a telltale sign. Real quick. Well, the other part, the, the deer can only, you know, the land capacity can only hold so many deer. And after they eat everything down, they're moving. Well, when you're looking at a club, what are like red flags to you like what do you not want i i really like your uh thoughts on having the county road going through the property earlier that was really good and i've never heard that before 
are there any other things like that, you know, that you'd be like, no, nah, I, I think I'm going to stay away from this club? Well, I was, you know, you, you want one piece of land that there's no roads going through it except what's on the club. Because the reason I said that, I was in the club, and there was people that come by after everybody left camp, get to their place they're going to hunt, and somebody would drive by early in the morning, and they'd drop dogs out and run the deer off the land. I seen that done time and time again, and I said I'd never get in a club that had a road run through the middle of it because that don't work. Uh, you know, and, and I was in a club that, you know, we was letting it was three point on one side or better. There was somebody on the back side that joined that club, built a green flint, greenfield right next behind his house, which was pretty close to the border, and every deer we let walk. He killed every one of them. So that's the reason I'm saying it's according to what's around that club that makes it better. And if everybody around that club is doing the same thing that you was doing. I know a guy that was in a club that had like, uh, I think it was maybe 3,000 acres. The land that was next to him was like 10,000 acres. And it was only a bird sanctuary and the only thing that was ever done on that land was bird hunt there was no deer hunting on it so you was right next to so much land that grows big deer because nobody shot them over you know it's different things like that you really have to look at what's around the club to how it's going to get better would going and finding a piece of property that was one large chunk in your opinion, be more beneficial than a bunch of smaller chunks, you know, kind of spread out? Well, it's like you say, you, you might get in a club, that's, and I've been in them to where you had three or four partials, and some of them little partials was pretty good, but it was because what was next to it. You know what I mean? So a bigger hunk is probably better if you – really put the plots in there and plant summer plots you're going to hold your deer in there and they don't want to leave so a bigger chunk of land is really my point better than small pieces unless you find that certain club that's got small pieces that's right up against a, a pay hunt place or something like that you know it just depends on that scenario so I'm going to flip it around now and ask you what the red flags were. What, you know, what are the things that draw you to a certain club? I know you mentioned water. Is there anything else like along those lines? Well, the other catch is, you know, what kind of deer has been killed off that club in years past? You know, is there, you know, let's just say certain counties has better genetics than other counties. Uh, if you got the genetics and and you plant the right stuff and all that, you're going to grow good deer no matter what. But, you know, some clubs you get in, they're just, you know, they're bad genetics. I've seen some clubs to where one side of the rack is just going to be a spike all the time. Well, that's, that's a genetic in that club. You know, what in the past have they killed? I've been into a club one time, walked in the clubhouse they had, and they had pictures on the wall, and he said, here's the camera. Every deer you kill, take a picture of it, and we put it on the wall. Well, you have to be 
cautious about that too because you'll look on that wall and you'll see some really good deer but i was in that club and later on guess what i found out half them deer big deer wasn't even killed on that club <laughs> so i'm just saying you know you have to be really cautious on what you believe and what you don't that's the reason i said it's better to know somebody on the inside that to tell you the truth Hey, Mike, real quick, I just I have just one quick question, and I'll let you keep running with it. Kevin, what is your take on uh, a club that butts up against, like, uh, a piece of public land or something like that? I mean, you mentioned, like, a bird preserve, but, like, what's your take on, like, a club that butts up against a piece of public land or national forest? Well, if you're on a piece of land and it butts up against, say, a, a WMA, well, there's only hunts certain time on that WMA. Okay, I've been on a piece that kind of was pretty close to WMA. On the WMA hunts, if you can find them escape routes that comes to your club because them deer are getting off of that land to go hide, you can kill some really good deer like that because they're getting out of that management area because so many people is coming in and you're sitting there waiting on them just come come at you. And I've seen it. Uh, if you're own a club and you're next to forest land and you look at that forest land and you go well the nearest road on the forest is miles in there you're probably going to see deer that nobody else ever sees either and plus you got access to get on that national forest that nobody hardly hunts either because i've done that what about uh clubs like and i guess you really wouldn't know this until you got in them but i've been in one club before and that club uh i got in there i they didn't have enough spots the next year. Um, but in that one club, there was a, like a forbidden area where the president always hunted. That that was his like go-to. It's where he spent the whole season. But it was like almost like you weren't supposed to go in that area. Even though you paid, you you weren't. It was like an, no, an unwritten I, rule. club like that. I've seen clubs to where it was like, Everybody had their own hundred acres, and that was the only place they can hunt. You don't want to be on that club because they're going to give you the crappy land that deer don't even go on. That that don't work when you got your designated. You're the only one. You, you ain't going to get the good good land because some places deer don't even travel through. You know, if I'm going to pay to get on a club, I want to be able to access anything on that club. So I've seen places where it's it's very similar to what he's saying about how there are certain areas that it's just, hey, we just don't go here, but one person will go there, and that's it, and it's typically the president of some sort, and that's just kind of how it is. And it's a problem. that That's not one of those things that you really want to see, in my opinion. No. I, I wouldn't want to be in no club like that. I'd be gone in a heartbeat. <laughs> Yep. Uh, so, so what about this when it comes to, you know, just other factors? Because I want to talk about, I, I want to get to the point, like, giving, like, like, you know, listeners a good idea of what to be looking for in a club, whether they're trying to find, a, you know, a family, you know, friendly club, or if they're trying to find something that's more kind of trophy related, where they're trying to find, and that's just the term they use. It's not my term. It's trophy clubs. Like, you know, yeah. they're trying to kill big deer uh, and trying to figure out the, di the different factors for them. What are, like... You know, we talked about, you know, Mike asked about, you know, red flags and also like some of the, the, the telltale signs like this is like a better looking property. When it comes to, um, 
you know, members and like, say you get to the point, let's, let's get to the point. Like you, you've talked to somebody, you're interested in the club and like, Hey, you know, Kevin, come on down. You can come check out the club and we'll walk around out there. If you only have a limited time to look at a property, what are some of those things you're going to be doing ahead of time? I mean, are you going to be looking at property on aerial maps and kind of get an idea there and then go in and check some spots really quickly? Um, you know, what are some of those things if you get access to a property ahead of time to walk it before you actually have to put a deposit down for your membership? What are some of those things you're going to be checking out really quickly if you only have a few hours to look at a place? Well, I mean, if you if you can look, you know, ahead of time, say, say you know, you, you call somebody during the week and you're going down there this weekend. Well, if you can look, ahead of time at all the land around it look for the draws coming off of other land uh if if there's a big track next to that land you know you know try to find out you know is, is it clubs next to it uh try to hunt for the the bottom land draws going into pines because i mean you're you're going to find a lot of sign in any of them draws going into small pines you know look in there hunt for you know all the rubs you know and when i hunt for rubs i always look you know is there rubs here year after year after year that's going to tell you a lot because you know in them certain areas bucks travel through there every year mm-hmm you know, if you can find a lot of good big rubs or find a lot of scrapes, uh, best time to go look at a club, you know, if you're going to try to get in one is right after the season goes out. Uh, look in the swamps, you know. Ride the roads. You know, if you've got all day to go look at a club, you know, you can ride the roads a lot in small pines or cutovers and find a lot of trails. Is there a lot of big tracks crossing the road? Because I hunted in one club and nobody ever even hunted the road. And it was small pines, but hey, they left a couple of pines and you could get up, you know, 20 yards off the road. And I'd seen a bunch of big tracks and first time I hunted, seen three big deer come across the road. So, you know, it's just small things like that you look at, you know, Mainly hunting for good sign of where big bucks has been through there, but big tracks don't lie. So, Kevin, l- let me let me. Uh, I, I finally remember what I was going to talk about earlier before my mind just went blank. Which you were talking about, you know, if you have a club adjacent to public land, like how you can kind of figure out, you know, especially if it's a WMA wildlife management area. And we're talking Alabama here. Other states are different, but in Alabama, like especially for firearm hunts, you can't can't just openly go out there at any point of the firearm season go hunt with a firearm they have designated days and you know three four day periods that a hunt's going on that's when you're gonna have the excess of pressure coming in and hunt those exit trails i had a listener this was like oh this was probably 2018 29 i think it was 2019 season uh, right after we started the podcast i had a guy reach out his listener to the podcast he probably still listens and uh he was in a club adjacent to bankhead national force in black warrior management area and he had this really big deer on camera, and he's like, "I just can't figure it out." And I brought up the location. I was talking, I was like, "Dude, you know, on this club, he showed me an aerial image, and I was looking at it on on the maps, and there was this one super big long ridge that came off the national forest slash management area that went onto their property, and like a really like a ridge that went for like two miles. Like it was a huge, yeah. huge structure, and there was a big cutover on their side of the ridge, down off the side of the ridge. There was a big cutover." 
And I'm like, dude, you need to hunt somewhere along that ridge. Like, if there's a gun hunt coming on, which there was one coming up, it was in yeah. November, on the management area, I'm like, you need to hunt somewhere on that ridge because there's probably going to be deer pushed to you. And you have that real thick area just on your side of the property that there's probably going to be does in. And some of those bucks are going to check it out. The first time he hunted it, he had that buck come by that he was showing me photos of. I think he, he finally killed it. It's like 100, upper 156, 157 inches, uh, like a real big 10 point. And uh, he hunted on the side of the ridge, saw the buck run by him a couple different times, running does on one of those hunts uh, when they was on the management area and all these deer were coming across the property line. And then I think he hunted like two days later and got next to that, got downwind of that cutover and had that buck come through there, scent checking along uh, this little creek drainage next to the cutover off the side of the ridge. And he was able to shoot it. And it was a, a freaking monster buck. But it's like stuff like that. He was just hunting previously food plots and stuff on the property. And like, yeah, they, yeah. Were, they were seeing deer, but all the nighttime photos of these big bucks or all these photos on the greenfields are all at nighttime. He's like, dude, I can't find this deer. And, and all he had to do was just shift his, uh, his, area he was looking at like 300 yards like away from the greenfield up on this big ridge and that's where he was and that's where he killed that really big deer so it's like stuff like that i think kevin you can probably talk about this too is you know a lot of times on these clubs like there might be some big deer like they get photos of them but nobody's really killing them and it's nothing against the guys or, or you know men and women hunting that club they just might not be thinking about thinking how to hunt it the same way you may or like maybe like one of us or somebody that maybe has a different perspective because uh, most of these people potentially those hunting clubs in these open areas and these big bucks might not not want to come through there. Like you're talking about seeing some big bucks crossing a road where there's a you know short ponds on each side and nobody's hunting there because it's not like a pretty spot for them. So if you think outside the box, you can be really really successful. It seems like on a lot of these clubs when you're doing stuff that other people just aren't doing. Yes, I mean you you got to think different than anybody on that club. You know. Look for the spots that nobody ever goes. That's the reason I said if you get in a club the first year on the tag out board, it pretty much tells you that whole year where everybody hunts. And if you'll look at that and keep a record of that and look on there where everybody goes all the time, pick out the spots that nobody ever goes. And if you'll look around there, you'll find where deer move. You know, it's just simple stuff like that that people just bypass and a lot of places people will just ride down the road and never hunt it because well i can't see that mm-hmm. well that's usually where the deer going to be you know the places that nobody goes it's like you was talking about on, on the you know next to a management area if you're in a club next to one I'd be scouting inside that management area out more than I would the club just to figure out how the deer are traveling back and forth. Cause when the managers got a hunt, they're going to push deer on you. When everybody's on the club and they ain't a hunt on that management area, where do you think the deer's going? To the management area. Mm-hmm. So you find them travel routes that goes back and forth across that, and that's where you're going to see the deer. And that's, that's something I've heard from a bunch of different guys that are successful on hunting clubs is there's a, there's, on a hunting club itself, the least, you may not have just a ton of diversity, like as in like a bunch of different age, like cutovers and different age pines growing. You may, but sometimes you don't. But a lot of times where you find that diversity is on that property line. And I'm not saying sit your stand yes. on the property line, but it's a great place to scout because deer love edges. They love diversity. And a lot of times if one property is being cut, the property adjacent to you may have a little bit older trees or may have, you know, really young early successional growth. And you can have some unbelievable activity in and around the area, not because the deer are just trying to stay on the property line, but that's where the edge of the habitat is. And that's a great place for you to scout, run trail cameras, and potentially be successful hunting as well. Now, 
I want to segue over. We're kind of getting to the point. I, I want to get to the point of almost wrapping this episode up, but I've got to ask you this, Kevin, which is what what has to go through your head when you've been in a club? So we're talking to the listeners here who's already been in a club for this year. Maybe it's the first time they've been in this one club or the fifth year they've been in this club or whatever. What about it tells you, hey, I want to renew my membership? And then also, what are some of those things that after you've been in a club for a year, you're like, I'm, I'm kicking this to the, to the road. I'm going to go find a new club because it's not for me. Well, you know, it's corn to what you're wanting to hunt. If you're trying to kill bigger deer, you know, most clubs, they're going to kill, you know, if they kill, say, three to four good bucks a year, and it's consistent every year. Well, you know the potential is that there's some good deer here. What's the age of them deer? You know, are these, you know, say younger deer, but got good racks? You know, that tells you right off the bat, you know, hey, if they had more age, there's probably bigger deer around here. Because they're, they're, you know, growing a really good rack, say, for a, a three-year-old deer. Well, you know, the genes are there, but now if you get one of these clubs and it's like, well, there ain't nobody even killing a decent deer. Uh, every rack's messed up. Uh, you don't want to stay in the club if that's what you're hunting for is better deer and there's not producing nothing there. Well, there's no sense in staying. Now, if you just want to kill meat, you know, that's fine. But if you're hunting for better deer and they're not even killing them on that club you know you might as well just move on and go to the next one that's the reason you have a lot of people drop out of clubs because they're going well i didn't kill nothing or i I didn't really see any potential here and and i'm moving on to a different one which i i'll I'll preface this and bring this up as Sometimes it's not always just because some people aren't successful in the club doesn't mean there's not good deer necessarily there. They just weren't successful on their hunting strategy. But if you're going out there and you're using some of the tips and tactics you listen to on the podcast that some of our guests like you, Kevin, are having success with, and you're still not seeing either really quality deer on trail camera or especially anything in person, that could be also another red flag for you that, hey, this might not be if, if my goal is to kill you know, a four and a half, five and a half, six and a half year old deer or better, uh, or a certain, you know, antler size, it might not be the club for me because I'm not seeing everything that I should be seeing based off trail cam photos and also what I'm actually experiencing in the woods, especially especially when you're doing something that other guys just aren't doing. Like I know Kevin, the first time we had you on talking about, you know, getting away from some of these food plots when that's where all the pressure's at, kind of getting in between these food plots, these areas that guys aren't going to if you're still not seeing the buck sign, you're not seeing the actual, you know, mature bucks that you're trying to target, then yeah, it might not be, you know, the club for you to actually renew. And it brings up another, you know, good point that you made, which is like, hey, if you're in a club and, you know, maybe you didn't have like the success you thought you did, but there's some guys killing some younger deer that are legal, but they have like, you know, it's a two and a half or three and a half year old deer that's 110, 115 inches. You know, you know that there's potential in that property for probably deer a lot bigger than that, and especially if that's your goal, that's really you know good to see. And that brings yeah. up a question or like a statement. My uncle's in a club that's really close to like where I live at, and they kill some absolute giants down there. I mean, they've killed like 160 plus in deer the last couple of years down there, um, and it's one of these clubs that you're paying. I think it's like it's not over, it's not like over the top expensive, but it's not cheap. It's like seventeen hundred, eighteen hundred dollars a year. 
and there's only a few members. I think there's only 10, 15 members, and it's like 13 or 3,300 acres. But, you know, they had the same eight-point restriction. And he said, you know, there was a few deer that got killed that were eight points, but they were two-and-a-half-year-olds. And he's like, dude, they would have been giants at five-and-a-half if they lived. He's like, there was one, he said, in particular, he said it was about 115 inches at a two-and-a-half-year-old. He's like, the deer couldn't weigh more than 110, 115 pounds, but it had one hell of a rack on it for its age. Uh, and he's like, you know, and that's it's an area that has the genetics. It has the habitat. It has all the nutrition there based off the natural vegetation that grows those really big deer where you're getting a five-and-a-half-year-old that's 155, 160 inches. Um, those are clubs that it's, it's probably worth sinking a little more time into an investment that, hey, if I continue to hunt the property and be smart on how I hunt this, I could get the chance and opportunity to kill, you know, one of those upper echelon bucks that are in the area. Yes. Yeah. I mean, all them points you said, you know, it, it's not, you know, say you get in the club and you don't have no success at it, but you see other guys killing some really good deer and they're young. Well, you know, the potential is there, the genes are there. So, you know, I would stay there, but it's the ones that you get in and that's what you're hunting for. And you don't even see nobody else kill them. Well, then more than likely, you know, it's not that great. Oh, one other uh, question I've got, and then uh, Mike, I might ask you if you got any questions uh, about this. And same thing with JT and Andrew. Uh, but Kevin, what is your take on? Uh, just on a side note here, because it is turkey season's coming up. What is your take on? And I don't know if you're much of a turkey hunter, but what is your take on memberships? whether or not like you get access with your membership to like do small game hunting or also gives you options for, you know, turkey hunting rights and stuff like that. I'd rather want to get in a club to where I pay my dues and I can hunt whatever I want. I understand most people, you know, if you're deer hunting, you don't want people out there squirrel hunting, but I mean, you got plenty of time to squirrel hunt for deer season, but turkey hunting, you know, I'd rather pay a lease and get in a club that, I'm going to be able to hunt deer or turkey, you know, all of it in one bag. You know, I want it all. Perfect. Yeah, that's kind of my thought, too, because I bring it up because there's some there's some lease or some clubs you'll get into and your your membership's only good for like deer rights. Like you can't turkey hunt and some clubs like you can't even small game hunt on. Hey, um, and, and you got the flip side. I found a club recently where they run beagles two times a week, certain parts of year for, ra- for rabbits, for rabbits. Yeah. And so it, it's kind of a large club. It's got a lot of members, but, you know, they're not necessarily a club. It kind of goes back to what we we're talking about. They're not necessarily a club that's going to prioritize for trophy bucks. They do prioritize for, hey, come out here, have a good time, bring your kid, you know, let them shoot a spike if you want, and we're going to run beagles Tuesdays and Thursdays. But do you also think that those deer on that particular property where they're running them that often will eventually get used to it mm-hmm. yeah i wouldn't actually be that worried about that to be honest i'd almost try to use Dude. that to my advantage we, we've we, so we've rabbit hunted on public land like areas that we've all deer hunted before and i literally we went into one of these pond thickets i mean it was like you know eight ten year old ponds we were in and literally d- dogs are in front of us like rabbits coming towards us and i have three does come right by me and colton like they're just they were out in that stuff and they like, they weren't like freaking out blowing they just kind of like trotted right past they us. just avoid you especially with with beagles because I mean the beagles are barking the whole they time. they know exactly where they're at they, know, they, they know just kind of they you. just kind of get out of the way they don't really they're not leaving the area they're just kind of getting out of the way and then once you leave they the deer are right back in there so yeah I don't I mean dogs really don't but I've been in a dog club years ago and I I you know they'd run dogs in the morning 
and I'd hunt, still hunt in the evening, and I found places where I knew after you run with dogs, this is where the deer are going to come back into the land and, and see many a deer. You know, it don't bother me. I've seen, you know, club I was in, one of my ex-father-in-laws had beagles, and he'd run beagles for deer and rabbit. And I've watched beagles run a deer and run circles, and the deer run and jump over the dogs chasing them, <laughs> running circles through the woods. So, you know, it, you know, dogs running for rabbit and then you hunt on the weekend for deer, that, that ain't going to bother them deer. They don't pay it no attention. When it comes to you getting intel about a club, what is your thoughts on, it always seems like you'll ask a club, you know, especially if you know somebody in the club or you know like the president, whether they send you trail cam photos, what is your thought on making sure you're getting real-time, like relative time frame trail cam photos and it's not something from 10 years ago because I've personally seen clubs that advertise like, Oh, we kill big bucks. And they show trail cam photos of a giant deer that they had 15 years ago in the place, 10 years ago in a place, eight years ago in a place, but they're not getting any photos close to deer like that. Now. I mean, have you ever like taken that into perspective on when you're trying to get Intel on a place? Well, yeah, but you know, most people that gets good pictures like that on the camera, they ain't going to tell nobody else in that club either because they want to kill that deer. So I don't even pay no attention to that. So if you're talking to the president and like you know somebody in the club, ask for a doe hunt. Because you can go on a doe hunt because generally the club's not going to have met their criteria for does. So they're going to need right. a doe taken. So if you can ask for a doe hunt, there's a good chance that you're going to get to see a caliber of buck or how many deer you you'll get a good idea of what's actually on the property without having to hey can i come walk around for a day no you hey y'all need a doe taken can i come shoot a doe generally they're going to say yes because they haven't hit their numbers are you talking about like if you're not a member generally if you're not a member in in your prospective member if you ask for a doe hunt they're gonna yeah sure absolutely We'd like for you to join, so why would we not want you to come see the property? Ah, so could you almost use that doe hunt as like a so we'll talk about the outro, like almost use that as like a way to get into a club and, and like get a lay of the land while like going out there, like, hey guys, you know, especially like, is it would it be like a paid hunt? Like, hey, if you kill one, you gotta pay like fifty bucks or whatever? Uh not necessarily. A lot of times they only pay you it's a it's a paid trophy fee. So if they haven't hit their numbers for management goal. Yeah, because like a lot of times, even like Westerville, they give like a hey, you need to take x number of does it's not some absurd number it's usually one or two a member but there's those people that they just don't want to shoot a doe that's just not what they're that's not what they're after so a lot of times by the time the end of the season rolls around they haven't hit that number so you can get a hunt they'll a prospective member could get a hunt pretty easily Mm -hmm. interesting awesome yeah i mean that's a good point i mean at least you get to see some of the land plus you get to see what kind of deer's moving I mean, that's a good point there. I mean, that would be a good good way to find out a lot, you know. That's like I said, going as a guest, sitting around the campfire at night, talking, you know, asking other people questions about it, you know, about the club, do they like it, you know, and stuff like You can find a lot out just by being a guest, you know, on a club. All right, Kevin, to, to finish this episode, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Can you tell us, what what is like a memorable it could be funny, it could be crazy, it could be whatever you want it to be. Story from a specific hunting club that you've been in the past. You don't have to mention anybody's names. We ain't trying to burn no bridges. But what, what kind of entertainment you got from any kind of situation you've ran into in the past on, on one of these past clubs? 
Okay. Uh, I was in a club. It's been years back. And and the main rule he said was you couldn't kill a spike. Period. No spikes could be killed. Now this is the president saying this. First year I was in the club. During both seasons, secretary shoots a spike <laughs> and comes to camp and asks us to come help track a deer he couldn't find it. Uh, went out there, help the guy find it. We get out there. We walk around, you know, and the first thing I noticed, and this was before they even had baiting laws. First thing I found was a pile of corn. I'm going, you got to be joking. Next thing is we follow the blood trail. It's a spike. And I mean, it's like six inch spikes. First thing I did is I turned around and looked at the president. I said, well, I thought we weren't supposed to shoot no spikes. And I said, here, he is shooting a spike. And he goes, well, we got that rule. We don't want, want you to kill all of them. And I go, my God, what? why we even got a rule? And which I didn't stay in that club. I said, it's breaking so many rules. I was like, this is a waste of time. <laughs> Club politics, man. Club politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. exactly. That's what I'm saying. I mean, now that was I was hilarious when I walked out there and seen the corn, and I'm going, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> I'm glad I didn't hunt over here nowhere. Man, that's. I mean, it's similar kind of the story I talked about. There's this deer that, uh, uh, the first time I killed my first buck. After I killed my first buck, my dad was like, "Okay, you can hunt by yourself now." You killed a buck. I was 12 at the time. And the first time I ever hunted by myself, this buck came walking by. And he came right by my blind, like five yards. Could have shot him, didn't, because he, he didn't meet the requirements. The requirements were eight points or better and outside the ears. It had to be both of those to shoot it. So I passed this deer, and this is during the rut. And then it got to be like the last weekend of the season, and I can't remember who. Somebody in the club, it might have been the club president or, or one of those guys that helped run the club, shot the deer. <laughs> and i was 12 at the time and my dad was real upset about it and they were showing it to us and everything and i was like i passed that deer you know so and so like a couple weeks ago and they, i guess they felt bad and they ended up giving me the rack <laughs> and i still i still got it to this day Wait, still, where's it at i'll have to go find it it's oh, probably in the garage oh man but yeah it's a little but scraggly I, but, goofy buck but but that's what i'm saying it's stuff like that that just kind of ruins it you know it's like you tell me the rules, and then you go out and break every law in the book. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Well, well, listen, Kevin. I hope. Uh, let me. Well, uh, Kevin, before we completely wrap this up, is there anything else that you think we missed on that would be important for us to mention? You know, when we're talking about all things hunting clubs and what people should be expecting. You know, when looking for a club, when joining a club, and also, you know, you know the details on renewing a membership if they decide to do so. Well, I mean. You can't give up really on the first year in a club. I mean, I've been in a lot of clubs, and, you know, the first year is a learning curve. I mean, that's just it, you know. I wouldn't give up the first year, but now by the second year, if it ain't really everything that you want, then you might as well leave. But first year is hard because you're having to learn the whole land and all, you know. So I wouldn't give up on the first year being in a club. Uh Mainly, you know, hunt for the sign that there is good deer there, if that's what you're wanting. Or if there is a lot of sign, you know, with the rut activity on that piece of land during the rut. I've been on some clubs, you know, when the rut hit, 
it's like they all left, you know. So you got to have the sign there to be, you know, successful knowing that they're there. But other than that, you know, I wouldn't give up the first year. You know, the second year, nice. That's where you you decide really quick, you know, whether or not it's one you want. Absolutely. Well, listen, Kevin, we appreciate you coming on, kind of sharing your perspective and knowledge, especially after being in so many different clubs. Um, you know, it's good to have guys on like that because you know I've had guys, I've talked to guys before. They've only been in. You know, they may be 55 years old, but they've only been in two clubs or three clubs their entire lives, and they've been into like the club they're in now for the last 15 years. And those aren't really the guys that ask about this kind of stuff because they've kind of get into a sweet spot where they, they, they're comfortable with their, what they're doing. Uh, but, you know, it takes a different guy, kind of like yourself, that's been in a bunch of different clubs to get the, an idea of, you know, what makes a club special and worth time putting the money and time into it versus one that you just need to get out of and try to find something else. So I appreciate you coming on here, sharing that knowledge with us. And again, you know, hopefully this is a good guide for listeners to go out there and figure out, you know, what is their best bet when going and trying to find a hunting club for this year? Because again, per our survey, these are like over like 70% of our listeners hunt private land. And a large majority of those people are hunting leases and clubs. So, you know, there's a lot of different things to take into consideration when joining one of those places, but definitely put your time and effort into it. Find the area that, you know, makes sense for you, not only, you know, close to the house or, you know, whether you're willing to travel a little bit, but also, you know, for your potential goals, whether you want more of a family friendly, you know, club operation, or if you're wanting something that's strictly more so for the hardcore kind of trophy hunter where they're trying to have, you know, a lot more regulations, but a lot better opportunity to be able to kill, you know, a, a, a trophy quality deer per their requirements. So, uh, Kevin, again, I appreciate you coming on here. And again, thank you for, you know, sharing your knowledge with us today. Oh, thank you. I had a blast. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes coming out and help us grow the community by sharing this podcast with a friend. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a, a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, we talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar guys it's a no-brainer you gotta be at the show again it's friday june 28th through sunday june 30th in dalton georgia we absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting so we'll see you at the 2024 mobile hunters expo in dalton georgia